Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to Happy Mom, Happy Baby, Parenting SOS. Now today we're getting real about emotional health. Being able to understand our emotions and helping our little ones navigate theirs is a huge part of parenting. It shapes our kids' understanding of themselves, their resilience and overall happiness. However, it is such a massive and difficult subject to tackle. It's such a big thing to get our own minds around. So who better to guide us through this topic than Susie Redding? Susie is an accomplished author, a well-versed psychologist, and a skilled yoga teacher whose expertise lies in helping people manage their energy, emotions, and stress levels. She's also someone that I absolutely love being around. Whenever her stuff pops up online, I love it, I absorb it. She is a beautiful woman inside and out. Hello, Susie. Hello, G. What a gorgeous introduction. Thank you, darling. I can remember years ago, the first time that I met you and being completely nutly, like just taken by you. Your whole way of looking at life, the whole way that you are. So I've always known that I wanted you to come on the podcast, especially now that we're doing Parenting SOS, to get people on talking about the areas that they're really passionate about. It makes such a difference. Rather than us trying to come to you with the topic and shoehorn stuff in, you're coming at something that you feel passionate about, and I think that's what works. And everything that I'm going to share today is, honestly, it's learnt the hard way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm learning every day in this journey of parenthood. So we learn and grow together, don't we, G? And that's the thing, because I think 
a lot of the stuff that we're discovering now, we weren't modelled that when we were younger. Our parents weren't modelled it. So it can easily become something that's like, well, they did it wrong. We're doing it wrong. You know, and actually it's because as we're evolving and understanding more and more, then we can start letting that knowledge seep into how we tackle things. But it shouldn't be that the fact that we failed ourselves or our parents failed us because they weren't doing it. Not at all. And do you know what? My dad was a psychiatrist. And honestly, I can't remember many conversations with him around emotional health. And he was a very present, compassionate, loving father. It's just that our understanding of emotional health has really bloomed massively in the last couple of decades. So yeah, absolutely. It was not modeled for us growing up. But I think the gift in that is that actually we can learn at the same time as our kids. We can show our kids that it's okay to be a beginner at this and we're all going to make mistakes together, but that's all just part of it. Absolutely. And why is this area so important to you? What's pulled on your heartstrings about it? I've always been passionate about nurturing and caring for others. And that's largely in in my role as a psychologist, I take care of grown-ups. But when I became a mum... I was so privy to this huge desire to want our kids to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a beautiful, loving intention. And I can remember my daughter many, many years ago coming home from school one day and telling me that her best friend was leaving the school. They were moving away. And my first instinct was I wanted to help her feel better. And in that moment, there was this real pull of, hang on, if I do that... Of course, I want to do that, but actually I'm doing her a disservice, Mm. you know? So that desire from a parent's point of view is at odds with actually what she needed in that moment, which was, of course you feel sad because something sad is happening. And the appropriate response is sadness, is tears. And there was a real sort of, I don't know, a light bulb moment there for me. And as we've already said, you know, so much of this We are learning on the hoof as parents and we need to have an open and honest conversation about it because I think Mm. we're afraid, aren't we, to show our emotions as parents because we think we need to be, you know, resilient and strong all the time. And yet it goes both ways. Our children need to see us express our emotions and they also need to feel safe expressing theirs. And yeah, I'm so glad we're having this conversation, G. It's much needed, isn't it? And also there's so many emotions though that we feel funny about sharing and expressing it's funny someone said to me the other day about one of my children even how do you and Tom express anger to each other how do you express that to your kids do you let them know that that is an acceptable emotion to feel that you can feel anger absolutely you don't have to you know shy away and actually we did a community poll and interestingly we asked which of your child's emotions do you struggle to deal with the most and anger was 58 percent There are certain emotions that we just don't know how to deal with. And I think a lot of our childhood was spent going, don't cry, don't do that. You know, generations above that, children are seen and not heard. So I think there's that feeling of kind of feeling a little bit in a place of not knowing what to do and how to respond and how to help. Yeah, absolutely. And even though, you know, there has been shifts, you know, we Mm. no longer say things like, you know, children should be seen, not heard. Yeah. Yeah. Still take a look at the messaging that's around. You know, we associate a good baby with a baby that doesn't cry, baby that doesn't trouble its parents. Like somehow 
having needs or giving voice to our needs is somehow unacceptable. And it's perpetuated by this notion that good children don't talk back. Mm -hmm. And if children are not allowed to speak up and to question, how can we expect them to advocate for themselves in adulthood? And then it extends into motherhood, that the ideal mother is selfless all the time. So, you know, I think there needs to be some kind of cultural unpicking before we can feel it's okay to express our emotions, let alone know what to do with them to move through them in safe and healthy ways. Absolutely. On Parenting SOS, I ask you to come in with the three most asked questions that you get asked and you have sent some in. So the first one is, are there good and bad or positive and negative emotions? I think this is a really useful starting point mm-hmm. because if you, again, you look at the languaging around emotions and, and people do tend to refer to the good ones, the nice ones, the positive ones, as opposed to the negative ones. And also the easy to handle ones, yes. easy to navigate. Because if someone's happy, you just live in life. No one's got to worry exactly. about where this is going. Exactly. But as soon as we involve these labels, well, then it invokes some kind of feeling of, of shame around having the bad ones. If you have a bad emotion, does that then mean that you're a bad person? So I would love for us all to dispense with this notion, this binary understanding of emotion being good or bad or positive or negative. Let's come to an understanding that there is an evolutionary purpose for all emotion. They all have their place. They all have their purpose. So it might be useful to take a look at what some of those purposes are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if we take a look at anger, for example, Now, for little kids, now that's going to emerge when their will is thwarted, yes? Okay, but it's also there when we feel threatened, when our values are compromised, or, you know, as a parent, you will naturally feel anger if someone in your care is threatened, okay? It's there to galvanise us into action. So from that perspective, you can see why we don't want to eradicate anger. because it's there to help us stand up for ourselves and to stand up for those in our care. Now, that's not to say that we get to express it in any way, yes, but there is a place for it. And then if we go through a few more, anxiety is there to alert us to potential danger. So again, we don't want to get rid of it. Mm. It's there to keep us safe. The presence of that emotion, however, doesn't necessarily mean that there is a threat We still need to check in and observe, actually, is there a good reason for this feeling? Yeah, but we certainly don't want to get rid of anxiety. And then we look at guilt. Now, guilt just taps us on the shoulder and says, check in with your moral code. Make Mm. sure that you're in line with your moral compass here. Maybe we need to make amends, little course correction. So again, guilt serves a purpose. And I would say that life would get very messy and chaotic if we did not have guilt to motivate our behavior, right? Mm -hmm. And sadness, now that's calling us to slow down, to reflect, to take time out, maybe do some healing. Loneliness is a prompt for us to perhaps check in, to reach out, to connect. So they all have their place. There's Mm -hmm. nothing good or bad about them. Yes, there are some that are more pleasurable than others, but we need them all. Yeah. Your second question that you're most asked is, if we're not aiming for perpetual happiness, what are we aiming for and what is emotional health? We've already talked about time and a place for all feelings. Yeah. I think there's this assumption that, like mental health, we sort of think of that's an absence of difficult thoughts, yeah. but it's not. 
you know, mental health is our ability to weather those challenging thoughts. It doesn't mean we don't have them. Now, in the same way, emotional health is not the absence of difficult or painful feelings. It's our ability to weather them. Yeah. Yeah. It's our ability to move through them. A lot of this is determined by how old our children are and their capacity. I think sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of what our children are capable of. Do you mm. know what? And there, I have to laugh. There are a few times when I catch myself thinking, oh, stop being a child. Hang on. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so challenging. It is so challenging. But as our children grow, as their capacity to give voice to their feelings, to be able to describe their feelings, even down to the vocabulary that they have, then it, it opens up so many different means of working with it. But, you know, emotional health is our ability to feel all our feelings mm -hmm. and to move through them in a safe and healthy way. Your next question is how can we support our kids through big emotions like anger, frustration, boredom, loneliness, sadness and grief? Also, how can we learn these skills ourselves, bearing in mind that that wasn't modelled for most of us growing up? I think the starting point might be, now this depends on how old your children are. This is yeah. a good starting point for us. I think just learning to sit with our feelings and not necessarily, you know, feeling like we must leap into action immediately. So can we just give ourselves a moment to feel? Can we please give ourselves permission to feel? And then maybe we take a look at perhaps what are these feelings? Can we name them? Because research shows that having the capacity to label things and a real, it's called emotional granularity. So rather than just feeling if we say, oh, I feel bad, it's harder to navigate that mm. than if we're able to more accurately identify that, well, maybe we feel frustrated or we feel resentful or we feel bored, yeah, or we feel tired, you know, sort of tease these things apart, it's easier to move through them. So giving ourselves time and space to feel, developing a rich vocabulary to describe our feelings. And then we actually need a practical toolkit because, you know, emotions aren't just thoughts. It has a real physical manifestation, doesn't it? Mm. So I would suggest using movement, using breath work, maybe some kind of cathartic drawing or, you know, expressive creative pursuits can be really helpful. And different things will resonate for different people. And even our own individual preferences will change over time. So that's where we need a really broad toolkit yeah, absolutely. of things to try. And if the first thing doesn't work, well, then let's work with another one, you know. Where's a good place to start, like gathering those tools, though, and seeing what might work? So I would start with what feels most resonant to you. So if you enjoy expressing yourself using words, using writing, go for that. If you enjoy movement, go for that. If breath work appeals, then yoga has some fabulous strategies. Should we share some? Should we have yes. a look at some of these practices? Yes, I'd yeah? love to. Okay. So we talked about that energetic charge. Imagine if you were to stifle a laugh, you saw something funny, but you sort of, it wasn't a, the appropriate time to laugh. It's not like that energy just goes away. It's held in the body in a similar way that, you know, if you were to hold back a tear, that energy doesn't just dissipate. We actually need something that helps us move through it. So this is where something like even a simple sigh 
can help us let go. Sometimes being in stillness can feel hard. So this is why I love to incorporate movement because it creates a beautiful, tangible, physical release, but it's also the emotional release as well. So a little shrug and sigh. Shall we try? Yeah. So if you squeeze your shoulders up to your ears and take a deep clicking. breath in. <laughs> I know, me too. And then an exhale, let your shoulders drop. <sighs> and hopefully that felt good. You might want to do it again. So breathe yeah. in, shoulders up, squeeze. And then as you exhale, <sighs> with a little sigh. Now, I think that one can be useful if you're feeling a bit stuck or if you're feeling a bit frustrated. It just cultivates that physical release. But in moments that have of higher charge, we're going to need something more significant than that. Mm -hmm. And this is where I'd recommend the lion breath. And this is something that kids can enjoy. And I tell you what, sometimes when we do it, we have a bit of a giggle at the same time. You know, we need the mood alchemy of humor at the best of times. So lion breath looks and sounds like this. (laughs) You breathe in through the nose and then you breathe out through the mouth with the tongue extended as far out as possible. So there's a real, a real roar and you're letting it go. And I love it because it can be really profound wordless release you don't even need to know what you're letting go right yeah okay please teach your kids <laughs> i love that and also they're gonna love it because it's a lion <laughs> they're doing is, something funny it is it's simple and it's accessible and it works and i tell you what if you were to sit down with your kids and actually come up with a toolkit this is what i find time and time again they will come up with the most fantastic suggestions because so many of these impulses are the natural expressions of the body trying to soothe itself. The body is so intelligent. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so smart. Look, for example, if you were to get bad news and you were standing up, we'd instinctively bring the back of the hand to the forehead and say, oh, there's a sigh again. Or if you were sat at a desk and got you know some shocking news you'd fold your hands on the desk and you oh you'd rest your head on your hands now there's an acupressure point in your forehead that when you apply firm pressure there it soothes the nervous system so without us even knowing our bodies are directing us to calm and soothe ourselves so these strategies are just making use of those mechanisms so if you try that G, if you press the back of your hand to your forehead now, instantly, I'm really hoping you feel this. It's comforting. Yeah. It soothes the muscles of the forehead. It relaxes the eyes. It softens the jaw. It releases the tongue. I mean, I might fall asleep on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> Do you notice? It also, it slows your rate of breathing down. Yeah. yeah. And then when you let it go, I notice I've got greater clarity of vision. It's like a beautiful little rest for your senses. Yeah, so if ever we're feeling overwhelmed, if we're feeling full up, this is one for all the parents. Mm. When I'm doing this, my kids know, mummy's just having a breather. Give her a moment. Yeah? Yeah. You can make that even more significant by, this one is called massaging your horns. Okay. (laughs) So make a gentle fist. Now the soft part at the base of your thumb, imagine you've got two goatee horns and you're gonna press the base of your thumb into those imaginary goaty horns. And it has a similar effect. Yeah, it's like rebooting the nervous system. Oh, I like that. And then let it go. 
So whenever we need a little soothing, yeah, these are very simple practices that we can weave into our day. And I would suggest that rather than just thinking about managing our emotions in the throes of big emotions, can we weave little practices of tenderness throughout our day mm. just to calm and soothe? These are little, I think of these as little pressure release valves. Yeah. So before I'm scary mummy and Mount Vesuvius, if I've just allowed myself these little moments to check in, to be tender with myself, to cultivate some kind of physical softening, well, then I don't get so wound up later on. Yeah. I feel like you mentioned time earlier. And time is definitely something I feel like we've been robbed of in terms of life is so fast pacing. And so often when those big emotions are there, we don't have the time to deal with them in an appropriate way or in a helpful way, which is why suddenly I feel like they can seem a little bit out of control or then you're almost playing catch up or sort of trying to bring things back. And, you know, it's so difficult often to in the moment appropriately respond to those emotions, yours or your child's. It 100% is. I'd also add to that that sometimes it's not in the heat of the moment that's actually the best time to address these things. Yeah. Because if our kids are flooded, if they're not able to calm themselves, that's not the time to sit down. Am I right in thinking that the wrong part of the brain is activated yes. in that way so you won't actually get anything? No. Yeah. It's not going to go in. They're not receptive. Yeah. They don't have the capacity for it. In the same way that if we are triggered, if we're in the midst of that stress response, absolutely, the prefrontal cortex goes offline, yeah. more primitive brain structures take over. You know, we're geared up to defend ourselves. Mm -hmm. That's not the time to sit down and talk about how to behave. Yeah. We've got to wait until we're back into rest and digest mode where we're feeling calm, we're feeling safe, and then we can talk about Hey, maybe how we could do things differently next time. But for anyone that's looking for simple practices to boost emotional health, I would be looking at weaving in regular relaxation practices because science shows that a regular practice of Shavasana, you know, that beautiful lying down pose that you do at the end of the yoga class. Yes. Regular practice of that lowers anger, hostility. Really? Yeah. So here is your dispensation. Mums, dads, Please lie down on the floor and do nothing. Even if the <laughs> children are climbing on you, please do that daily. Do it for a couple of minutes. You know, these are very simple ways that we can boost our emotional health. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I love that so much of what you've said is about not just trying to move quickly away from the emotions that we're feeling, but actually mm -hmm. giving them that time as well yes. so that we can navigate our way. Absolutely. I think sometimes we're in a hurry to try and fix it and sort yeah. it. And sometimes that can lead to our children feeling like, you know, for example, with anxiety, when we say to our kids, oh, that's not real, don't worry about it. And then they feel like they haven't been heard, they haven't been yeah. understood. You know, I find myself doing that too, because, you know, we've got somewhere we've got to be. Yes. Well, it's just time to yeah. go, goddamn bed. It's really, really hard. But if we can try and make the space to, first of all, we've got to calm ourselves. Mm -hmm. which clearly is easier said than done. But that's where these very simple practices like earthing the brow, pressing yeah. the back of the hand to the forehead, the shrug and sigh to let go of physical tension, even just a little candle breath, a single breath where you breathe in through the nose and then you breathe out through pursed lips as if you're gently cooling a cup of tea. Let's do one of those. 
and then have the conversation, right? And if we can, sometimes in those moments, there's this, we want to allay our children's concerns, Mm -hmm. but what we don't want to do is to invalidate. We want to say, I hear you, sweetie. I know this is hard. This is a big feeling. I'm going to sit with you in this big feeling. But then it's okay to take a look at, is there a base for this fear? Is that thing likely to happen? It's okay Mm -hmm. to challenge whether there's, you know, a reason for that concern. We don't want to challenge the emotion itself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we we want to validate and we want to just bear witness. Can Mm -hmm. we sit with our kids as they cry, as they express anger, as they express frustration, disappointment, sadness? Mm. So often, though, we go into fixing mode, don't we? Mm. And someone the other day caught me off guard. I was telling them something and they just said, oh, poor child, that's such a big thing to go through. And talking about his feelings and I suddenly thought, oh, my God, I've been so fixated on fixing the problem that actually I haven't just gone, like, I'm here. Do you know what I mean? And just totally listened and the other person's reaction made me sad to think that I hadn't allowed, you know, not I allowed him to be sad, but not actually addressed that element of it, just gone into fixing mode, like so many parents do. Yeah. Yeah. It's easier, you know, sometimes when it's someone outside the situation, it's easier to do that because it's not their job to fix. The fact is, it is our job to make sure that our children are safe and protected, Mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. So of course, our mind is gonna go to that. I think we need to cut ourselves some slack. Mm. And when I look back at what I set out to achieve when I became a mum, you know, I had this idea of, oh, you know, my, my kids are going to be so well fed. They're going to be well hydrated. I'm going to nourish them. I'm going to help them sleep. I'm going to, oh, do you know what? And then it just became, I just need to get something into them. If I'm going to give them an opportunity to sleep, I can't make them sleep. <laughs> I can't make all of these things that I wanted. I can't make them do any of them. It's so frustrating, the anxiety that we feel as parents, because we want so much, but we so much is out of our control. Yeah. But they're beautiful, loving intentions. And I think it comes back to that first question of what are we aiming for? If we're not aiming for perpetually happy kids, we're aiming for kids that feel that they can respond appropriately to life in all of its glory, all of the things that they will encounter. And perhaps it's, you know, if we can best prepare them for that mm. and share them on that journey, just being there safe place through it all that's what we're aiming for absolutely quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. 
Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. We asked the Happy Mom Have Baby community to send in their questions. There have been quite a few. One person has said, how do you deal with frustration in a one-year-old that's resulted in them biting? Now, biting is quite a thing for toddlers. Mm. And it's always a horrible feeling when you know that your one is the biter. Mm-hmm. They're so young. Yeah. At that age, you know, in terms of shaping behaviour, we want to be consistent with what we're doing. But at the end of the day, we can't sit down and rationalise with them. No. Right? Okay, so it would be firmly, it would be saying no, but I think we need to be patient with our children and Mm. allow them to grow. And as they get older, we can have more in-depth conversations and we can develop other ways of helping them move through it. Yeah. Simple things like just shake your hands off. We can do this together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We can explain how I'm feeling. And when I feel like this, this is something that I do. Yeah. Yeah. Simple approaches like that. Someone has said, how do you deal with a child that feels like they don't fit in so have isolated themselves from others? As parents, you want your child to be accepted into the world for all their differences and uniqueness. Mm. And and I can remember actually so many conversations I had with my eldest where I'd be like, oh, so who did you play with today? It was one of my questions. What did you eat for lunch? Who did you play with? And mm-hmm. so often he would say, no one. I just walked around on my own. And they say this quite a lot and I'd end up having to phone the school and I was like, can I just make sure? And they were like, no, 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 he's absolutely fine. And I think sometimes there's also an element of kids just not wanting to say to you, they're talked out by the time they get home. Oh, they can't remember half the time. Yes. But then it all comes spilling out at bedtime. Have you noticed that? absolutely. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Every little qualm that they've had over the last three years seem to pop up. It's so challenging. Again, this is something that, you know, We can't make our children's friends for them. And yet we desperately want to steer, don't we? When kids feel like they don't belong, you know, it's so hard. They're thrown together with a relatively small pool of children. Mm. And so often they're with that same group all the way through primary school. And it's like, it's okay if you haven't found your people yet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. And I think, you know, there are lots of different ways that we can foster connection so it's connecting with people that have similar interests so maybe the people in your class aren't necessarily going to be your nearest and dearest but maybe it's the kids that you play football with maybe it's the kids that go to brownies maybe it's your swim team maybe it's the kids that enjoy whatever creative pursuits and it's also connecting with like-minded people not just in the real world but it's in the books that we read Mm. yeah it's the shows that we watch the films that we watch together and understanding that there are so many different people and we will find our tribe in time and I think if we can connect our kids with what matters to them as individuals and if we can praise their strengths and help them celebrate their strengths that will help them in that journey of finding like-minded people yeah My eldest daughter has complex needs and the youngest witnesses medical emergencies. Any tips? That's really tricky, isn't it? It's really difficult. My heart goes out to that family. Mm. The fact is we can't shield everyone from the realities of life. And essentially that's part and parcel of that family life. I think it may be in how it's framed that these interventions are helping healing or promoting recovery. And it's also 
taking the time to sit with that child and to talk openly about it and say, of course that's frightening, of course that's scary, of course you'll be worried, but it's parcel of that experience, isn't it? I can still remember, I must have been seven, maybe younger, and I was playing in the garden and my sister falling off her bike and splitting her head open. I can remember waiting on the stairs for her to come back from hospital and just being absolutely petrified about what was happening. Those things do stick with you, you know, the way that you see it as a child. And I do think it's so important that adults don't just like brush it under the carpet or think they've not seen it or they've, you know, or they'll forget about it because they are their moments that have been absorbed in some way. Absolutely. And you're right, they do stick with us, don't they? But I think they're less likely to needle us if we've had a conversation about them. Absolutely. You know, where kids have been able to say, I found that really frightening. Mm -hmm. And that's where we can say, of course you felt like that, sweetheart. Anyone would. I think yeah. those words are tremendously healing. And I think we can also share that we were concerned too. But look, there are interventions. Mm -hmm. There's medical support. We're getting the help that we need. And that can be reassuring too. Yeah. How can I calmly find the softer feelings underneath the anger without the child hurting anyone? You know, that might take a little unpicking. It's not going to be in that moment. And yeah. it might be trying to broaden our children's understanding of different emotions, mm -hmm. having lots of different words that we can use to describe. Yeah. yeah. But the fact is, you know, so much of, of emotion is acted out. But if we can show our kids ways of doing that, simply shaking the hands, even stomping the feet, roaring it out, there are other mechanisms for letting go. Yeah. One big thing in our house, and actually, so the next person has, uh, has asked how to talk to young children about relatives dying or relatives who have died. Even the other day with my nine-year-old, he's getting that, having those conversations at school about growing up. And he doesn't even like talking about growing up because with growing up comes death. You know, and yes. it's something that we talk about a lot. You know, we've had pets that die. I went to my friend's funeral the other day, a living funeral, and celebrated her life. And so we talked about it again as a family. The idea of death for many kids, it's a really difficult subject to tackle. But you don't also don't want to avoid it because I think as a nation, actually, as a society, we're pretty naff at talking about death anyway. So trying to navigate our own way through those conversations is really tricky. But it's interesting for me that the same child years ago got upset about my death. And I'm like, well, I'm not planning on going anywhere. Something has happened in his brain where that is such a massive topic that mm -hmm. he feels, you know, it's a very sad thing, obviously. But mm -hmm. death's a, a, a difficult subject, I think, to tackle. It is. You know, I think it's a difficult subject for grown-ups to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, so yes, it's okay to struggle with these conversations. It's okay to find them difficult. I think a lot of us were having those conversations around the Queen's funeral. Yeah. Because there was something so poignant that we were all experiencing at the same time. So I imagine a lot of these conversations came from that shared experience. I think it's really important that we speak truthfully mm. and the language that we use. Um, if we say it's put to sleep, going to sleep, what we don't want to do is then create some fear in our kids about going to sleep. Yeah. That can be really unhelpful. Um, I think we need to use the words death, dying. Yeah. And again, this is it. We are preparing our children gently and in an age-appropriate way for the realities of life. And the fact is, nobody lives forever. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we've got to have these conversations, but we can say them in gentle ways. Nobody lives forever. We don't know how long our lives will be. But, you know, when we take good care of ourselves, we're so blessed with the support that we have in this country, the good food that we have, the medical support that can dial down our children's concerns about our own health and longevity. But we need to talk openly and honestly. Yeah. Everyone will die at some point. And our children are going to ask us questions that we don't have the answers for. And that's okay. We can say, sweetheart, I don't know. I don't know what happens next. Nobody knows. But this is perhaps what I think, or this is what I feel. Now, I talk openly about my father. I am sure my dad visits me as a kingfisher. I, I know it. <laughs> really? I know it. Absolutely. Hands down. I saw a kingfisher the very first time on the day of my dad's funeral. I know it was my dad saying, I am still here. I've not left you. I'm here in a different form. And that's what I've shared with my kids. And do you know what? I'm so lucky. I've moved to another place that has kingfishers, <laughs> luckily enough. So, you know, whenever I see a kingfisher on the canal, and it's not often, but when I do, we say, well, there's, there's grandpa. Hi, grandpa. And my kids love that, that sense of continued relationship. I think that's so important in navigating grief journey. It's understanding that that relationship can still go on. Yeah. The love goes on and that helps us heal, helps us cope. Essentially, it's, it's how do we cope with these thoughts and these feelings. Mm, absolutely. Finally, someone has said, how can parents strike a balance between enforcing discipline and supporting their child's emotional development? Okay, that's a really good question. The fact is we want our children to be able to express themselves, but this is what we're learning too as adults, isn't it? You know, yeah. you can be angry, you can feel something, that, but that doesn't then give you permission to behave any way that you like. Yeah. Yes, so I think it's being consistent with, of course you feel like this. Yes, I understand that hurts or that's frustrating or that's infuriating. This is how we can move through it. This is an appropriate response. This is a safe response. And we keep reinforcing that. I think that consistency is important. But again, you don't necessarily have that conversation in the heat of the moment. That's mm -hmm. something that you talk about when everybody is calmed down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Susie, I'm loving this. And honestly, we had so many questions and I've literally just picked out a few because otherwise I'll be with you all day long. But we end with you completing three sentences. And the oh. first one, I know, I like to get everyone really relaxed. Let me get to this point of it and everyone's just, oh, what do I do? Uh, but the first sentence is, being a parent means? Being a safe place, yeah. Yeah. And the next sentence is, if I could tell you one thing, it would be? You are doing a beautiful job. And finally, I'm happy when? I'm having a hug. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you. I've got to say, being a parent means being a safe place is possibly my most favourite answer ever. So thank you. Oh, that's okay. Do you know, I wanted to say calm, safe place, but do you know what? I'm not always calm, but I can always be a safe place. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Susie, thank you so much. Thank you. It's such a pleasure, darling. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to have these conversations. It's yeah. so important. And I hope there are some tools and practices that can give people some really practical, you know, tangible starting points. I'm going to go and teach my children the lion's roar. That's Yay. my mission for tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.